Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host Mac and I'm joined today by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. Good God almighty. And James. What's up guys? And today we'll be talking about the legendary 10th studio album from soul and R&B legend Aretha Franklin. I never loved a man the way I love you. Yes, the queen of soul herself. We're finally getting around to her. We This week, we're giving some love to the lady musicians. Yes. On the next episode, we'll be talking about Super Champon by Otoboke Beaver. This one goes out to the ladies. <laughs> Aretha Franklin needs no introduction. I mean, she's one of the most iconic soul figures of all time and probably one of the most iconic musicians of all time. I mean, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know, respect. If you haven't heard that song... I don't know what to tell you. Go and put some respect on her name. There's no way you haven't heard at least one song from her. She is prolific, to say the least. It, I have a Take question. a guess. Take a guess on how many studio albums that she put out in her lifetime. 21. 38. G- good freaking gosh. Yeah, 38. Guess how many records she sold? Uh, 40 million. Over 75 million in her mm. entire career. Oh, gosh dang, four to seven. Oh, yeah, but what was your question? I don't know why I just thought of this, but is that movie where... Did she have a movie about her? Yeah. Where Beyonce played her, or was that another soul singer? Was that... I can't... There was a movie... You know what I'm talking about, where Beyonce plays the old soul singer? Is that her, or is that Etta James? I can't remember. I don't remember who played Aretha, but there is an Aretha movie. Yeah, there is a a movie about her. I mean, she's been lauded for fucking, like, 50... 40, 50 years at this point. So when did she start? If this is 67, this is her 10th. In the 50s. Yeah, she started in the 50s. She signed with Columbia Records uh, when she was 18, but she got her start doing choir at the Detroit, Michigan Baptist Church, New Bethel, where her father, C.L. Franklin, was a minister. Later on in 1966, she started with Atlantic Records, and this is actually her debut on that label. You know everyone was coming to church. Dude, I, like, I'm telling oh, you. They're like, mm, yeah, we tuning out for your father. When that choir is hitting, ooh, oh boy, we standing up. I mean, that's where she got scouted. Now, she had nine studio albums with Columbia Records, but they, and they, you know, they did well, but they didn't do like big superstar well. And it seemed like Columbia Records, because I went back and listened to some of her old catalog, like in that time period. And it, it kind of seems like Columbia didn't really know how to utilize her voice. Yeah. This album in particular, they uh, let her go. They let her do her thing. Yeah, they, they made her the main focus. You know, yeah. she's, she's a powerful singer. She's a strong, she has a great range, great dynamics, great technique. I mean, just an overall fantastic singer. You know, she's got that soulful, like gospel ring in her voice, and it works. And I think Atlantic saw that. Yes, you, you can feel, every, like, yeah, she has all the range, all the technique all the talent and everything but more importantly at least to me you can feel every ounce of emotion coming out of her when she sings yeah seriously and and honestly in my opinion like a lot of some of these tracks would not be as compelling if you didn't get that from her that and they started to use like all these like backup vocals to really like fill out those sometimes the music gets a little bit sparse and i feel like that the backing vocals behind that just really fill that out. And oh, just, yeah. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it gives it that so like gospel choir oh, yeah. feel. Yeah, they're like 
let's put her back in her own element, so to speak. Yeah. And where, yeah. where, you know, where she came from to let, you know, to let her grow out of that. Definitely. Really, really good decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my honest opinion, uh, this album feels like a reintroduction to Aretha Franklin. Cause this is, this album is the point in her career where she was boosted off into stardom. I mean, it had five or six of the biggest soul songs of all time on it. But yeah, she's had multiple big singles, you know, Dr. Feel Good. Molly Crew did it better. What? I'm actually kidding. Like, this is, this no, is, it's a totally different song. I was, that is, no. This song blows that song out of the water. She had an impressive amount of charting singles in her career. Over 100, 112, in fact, in her 50-year career. And she's won 18 Grammy Awards in her lifetime. Even going so far as to being one of the only people to win eight Grammy Awards in a row from Legendary. 1968 to 1975 for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. Good Lord. Eight times in a row. Look, she is the foundation of a lot of R&B. Like, yeah, modern R&B. You, you name, name every, every single female R&B vocalist. Name them all. I can't do that, but well, if well, you could, I I would tell you, yeah, <laughs> she is inspired by Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin inspired every single female R and B vocalist. Even uh, even Lauren Hill has cited Aretha as inspiration. I'll go ahead and say, as far as like just vocal talent, the only ones that even just like are in her stratosphere are like Blige. Etta James. That's really only ones that are in that like stratospheric tier. And even then, that's not. There are some that might get close, but their their songwriting definitely isn't on par. Like they might have like the technicality, but the songwriting that comes with them. I'd have to agree. Mm-hmm. I do love me some Mary J. Blige, but I do think Aretha's a better songwriter. Yeah, definitely. But on top of that, she's received countless honors in her career. She was inducted into. Three different Hall of Fames, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the UK Music Hall of Fame, and the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. On top of that, she has also received a posthumous Pulitzer Prize. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, she was one of the other artists that I failed to mention in the Mr. Morale episode, along with Bob Dylan. She was given a special citation for her indelible contribution to American music and culture for more than five decades. And on top of that... She performed My Country Tis of Thee at Barack Obama's 2009 presidential inauguration ceremony. Yep. Big that, trust. And I remember that, too, because it made international headlines. That was not the last time she would perform for him, either. Nope. Yeah, she uh, performed shortly before her death. Yeah, she still kept trucking, like, up until... Yeah, usually when you get that age, your voice just falls off of a Like, Yeah. Nah, man. I she, remember one time, like, they had, like, like some old singer, like a... Like, the old ones that I've seen, like when they do tributes to and they bring them on live, like they did that to like Bill Withers and like, man, that man was like mm. a crusty crab. He could not, he could barely, <laughs> even talk, he could barely even talk, much less sing. And Aretha's over here like singing for Obama like a year before she died. It's like, mind blowing. Yeah. She, 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 um, she was recording studio albums up until 2014. And I was looking into this, but this album was supposed to be produced by Danger Mouse of all people. She legit had a collab with Danger Mouse in 2014, uh, but he ended up leaving the project, and uh, it was later replaced by Babyface and Don Was, but also Andre 3000 did some of the executive production for the album. It was called uh, Aretha Franklin Sings the Great Diva Classics, and it was her final studio album. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I, I 
<laughs> it's kind of crazy to imagine that we could have gotten a Aretha Franklin and Danger Mouse project. <laughs> I, I would not have guessed that. Ballin'. Yes. That would have been sick, but, you know, it is what it is. But we're still getting that Black Thought and Danger Mouse project, and I am stupid excited for it. <laughs> but, yeah, Aretha... Also on our list of accomplishments, she is the only person, the only musician that I have seen bring a sitting president to tears. That being Obama. Obama has some pretty good taste in music and sports. Yes. Yeah, he yes, did. He, did. he used to release those like year-end playlists with all his and favorite they were, songs. They were kind of good. Mm-hmm. They were usually pretty good. And then like you know, you'll get other presents that are just like, oh yes, my favorite song is the YMCA. I'm like. Bro, come on. You're like one of the most powerful people in this world, and you're just not cultured at all. On top of all of these accomplishments, honors, achievements, and awards, she's lauded by so many music outlets, review outlets, critics, everything you can imagine. She's been included on multiple greatest albums of all time lists for this album, and even greatest artists of all time lists she was actually rated or this album was actually rated 10th best album of the 1960s by pitchfork and rolling stones back of the top 10 i can see it yeah um, it's really hard to think about because a lot of those 60s albums that are like considered like great are like right there on the cusp like 68 69 and so it's like it gets a little bit difficult to track but off the top of my head that about tracks it wouldn't be in the top five but it'd be in the back half of the top 10 i can see it yeah, at least top 15. But yeah, I mean, Aretha, highly accomplished, one of the most iconic soul musicians of all time, one of the most iconic soul singers of all time, and today we're talking about her most iconic project to date. So let's get into it. Yes. Another thing about Aretha is that she was a feminist icon, to say the least. No question. And that brings us to the first track. Respect. Which is... Without a doubt, a feminist anthem. You know, James, piggybacking off of that, I want to say that listening to these songs, do you get the feeling that even when they're really sad, even when it's about like losing someone or like in a relationship getting heartbroken, they they sound they sound very confident. Yes, they sound. It's almost oh, yeah. like someone just like smiling, like, "Oh yeah, I got my heart broken," but you know, it is what it just. You get that just really just it is what it is feeling. Mm-hmm. Where some like some singers you listen to, and it's just like. A Bill Withers song, and you're like, man, there's some pain. Like, this is some like down bad pain. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to her, it's just like, she just seems fine. Like, it's in her voice. It's just like, she was just in a really good mood while she was just recording, like, all of this. She's like, I don't care. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. She's got kind of this spunk. You can say, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. God yeah. Dang. Well, that's, that's one of the things that makes her so powerful. That's one of her signature sounds, you know, yes. just the, the confidence, the spunk, the, Positivity. Yeah, the positivity, big, big the BD, swagger. Being oh, big yes. energy. Oh, yes, absolutely. She, you can still tell, you can still feel the pain from the music. Like Yeah, but, but it's got this like air of, it'll be all right. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm going to power through this because I'm a bad motherfucker. So re- Respect was, a lot of people don't know this, but. I didn't know this. Respect is actually a cover of an old Otis Redding song. In a lot of ways, well, really, it is a response to that song. And she took the song Respect, made it her own as a response to him. And 
my God, did she make it her own? I didn't even know it was a cover until you told did me. She James. changed up the lyrics, or is it like a, a little one bit for one cover? Oh. She changed it up a little bit. Yeah. Uncle Otis, bagum, did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and respect. I mean, it's iconic. I I don't know what else to tell you other <laughs> than like, if you haven't heard this song, go listen to it. It's very much a feminist anthem in that you can tell by reading the lyrics. There's a couple of lines like, ooh, your kiss is sweeter than honey, but guess what? So is my money. And when she's talking about money, she's not literally talking about money. She means her independence. So the song is all about having to earn her affection, earn her love through respecting her, just showing her respect because she's giving up her independence to be with you. Exactly, and and messages like that, I mean, it was becoming more common, but hearing this from her and it being on such a wide and massive scale is really something to behold. It's a it's a bold statement. Yeah, and mind you, this this album came out in early 1967. Basic the foundation of the modern feminist movement was really starting to kick up some dust in that at this point. This was really before a lot of like the summer of love and a lot of the stuff that happened in the seventies, like, you know, Roe v. Wade and everything. But this was right at the cusp of the feminist movement at the time. I, I'm going to let y'all gush about this song because they know my history of this song. Um, it's very unfortunate. So I've got a sad story to tell. Sometimes <laughs> tell us your story. Sometimes you'll have an, a great objective piece of art but some other factor outside of just your connection to you and the music will absolutely take a big, spat, steaming dookie on top of it. Yeah, Certain uh, family members of mine, I won't say any names, have sung the song into the ground and just absolutely, like, I cannot get them out of my mind when the song comes on. They have effectively ruined the song for me. I cannot listen to it anymore. It's just, it's ruined for me. In fact, I listening to the album, I did not listen to the song at all. So my really review comes from almost like the rest of the album. And it's really unfortunate because it's a great song. Objectively, it's a great song. I just can't listen to it just because don't let people ruin music for you. Because when it happens, it sucks. But you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes you just yeah. cannot separate things. Like music yeah, association from, with yeah. like other people it's or powerful. events. It is powerful. The song remains the same. You know, it's emotional trauma and just anything is can be attached to a song because it's always the same. It's like Robert Plant saying the song remains the same. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel you on that though. Like I have this album, you know, American football LP one. Um, I discovered that at a really dark time in my life and I've kind of developed like a little bit of an emotional connection with the album because it kind of brings me back to that headspace. Me with Radiohead. Yeah. And you know, we understand Garrett. So James and I are just going to gush about, Respect for a minute. Oh, please. Please do. It's, it is worthy of praise. Lyrical content, way ahead of its time. So ahead of its time. It's so easy to sing along and, and just get involved in. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Like, if you haven't heard that chorus like, and aren't you know, having fun and singing along to it, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. That was wholly original. She did that. She added that part to the song. Yeah, and Aretha added that extra special sauce to the Otis Redding version that makes it her own. And that's the most recognizable part of the song now. <laughs> she She's awesome, man. I bet you money, now, now this might be a spicy take, but I bet you money if Aretha didn't cover that song, it would fade to obscurity. 
Probably. Probably, yes. Honestly, the only thing that most non-R&B fans remember about Otis is his hip-hop samples and sitting on the dock of the bay. Yep. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Otis is good. And I give him props, but his music as a whole is very underrated. And if it wasn't Kanye, you know, bringing him back into like into remembrance again, he'd be the sitting on the dock of the bay guy, and that's all he'd be. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like with uh, Marty Robbins and Strawberry Roan. I mean, Aretha took this iconic song and just made it her own. Like it's the definitive version now. Yep. Or even like Hurt by Nine Inch Nails with Johnny Cash, like. The Johnny Cash version is just better in every way, shape, and form. Hendrix and all along the Watchtower. But yeah, you know, Respect might as well be an Aretha song at this point. Yeah, it's a classic. It will go down in history forever. You know, it will be singing, we'll still be singing it a hundred years from now as long as we're still here. So on to the second track, Drown in My Own Tears. Yes, a uh, cover of Henry Glover's I'll Drown in My Tears. Yeah, man. But it's given a feminine twist. Guys, look, I'm telling you, this song, almost every single time I hear it, it, I, it brings me to tears. It broke like, you, didn't it? Yeah, it broke me. Like, this song, it, she, the way she sings in this song is so fucking powerful. Oh, yeah. It's so, like, you feel every ounce of pain and loneliness coming. You, I think it's one of the most damn bad anthems. Powerful, like, performances on the album. Yeah. Only someone that can, that has felt this depth of loneliness can sing it like this. James, have you drowned in your own tears to some Aretha? Yes. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't? Mac. Mac. Are you, are you a soulless, evil demon? According to some people, yes. <laughs> Max, like, I cry to Soul Glow and Black Country New Roads. <laughs> hey, come on, man. As a tear rolls Dude, down I his Dude, I was eye. literally listening to Soul Glow, like, before James came in. <laughs> tear rolls down his cheek. Like, like before uh, I, I did my refresher. But, yeah, like, this, if you've ever felt lonely in your life, you know, this, this song perfectly encapsulate that, encapsulates that feeling. It's incredible. Yeah, I felt it, man. I the really vocal did. the vocal performance, it this in my opinion, this is one of the greatest vocal performances of all time. You don't I, have to explain yourself. Like I, do the song explains it for me. Just listen to the song. That's fair. I'm just giving you shit. Yeah. <laughs> just the range, the, the raw emotion that's coming out of her voice, out of her soul. This song and her performance really gives meaning to the genre name, Soul. Well said, James. Well said. Garrett, did you have any thoughts? I do want to say that while there are some very emotional sad tracks in this album, I think overall in this album, I actually gravitated to some of the more, the more brighter, some of the more like sensual tracks on this album, like Dr. Feelgood. Save Me. Yeah. yeah and stuff Don't like Let that. Me Lose This Good Dream. Times. But this is definitely a top three song on the album, the performance is killer. Honestly, the first three songs, she just like absolutely kills it. I mean, the other Knocks ones, it out of the park, the other ones are good, but I, the first three songs are almost like a technical showcase, so to speak. Like, like, a, she's like, like of her top, vocal yeah, chops. Yeah. Yes. Like the next song, I never, the title track, it really showcases her range. 
very well. Oh yeah, like, I think this is the most like technical performance. Yeah, of the entire album, she can go as high as she wants to, and then get really, really low. I love that line. Um, it was, I think it was in the second verse. Some time ago, I thought you had run out of fools, but I was so wrong. You got one that you'll never lose. Mm. <laughs> I'm telling God, you, I love that line, so. man. Oh yeah, savage. Yeah, and you know this this song is about. A bad, bad man, but a cheater, a bad, a bad Leroy, Bl- Leroy yes. Brown. But she still loves him anyway. She loves Tragic. him, loves him more than any other man she's ever loved. And you know what? Some of these songs have that little extra of hurt because when you're just hurt and you just are confused, that hurts. When you're hurt and you're fully self-aware, that hits different. That, yeah. Yeah. in the words of that one kid, that shit hoided. <laughs> when you know everything that's going on and you're just standing there and you're like, oh yeah, it's still happening anyway. Like Yes. And you, you just accept it because yeah. you're just you're just so attached. Like mm-hmm. she said, she's stuck like glue. It's harrowing, man. Really. You see that a lot. You know, people they fall in love with someone that's, you know, not exactly good for them. Terrible for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Love is weird. Humans are weird, man. It's it's hard to explain. Yeah, and this track perfectly reflects that, down to the vocal performance, the lines, the story itself. Fantastic, all the way around. Now, the tone of the record is going to take a little bit of a shift here with Soul Serenade. It's very easygoing, a lot more light and friendly than the first three tracks. You know, on the first three tracks, she's really, you know, just hitting on it. Very bombastic. Yes. Very bombastic, you know, saying exactly what she thinks and what she means. And, you know, Soul Serenade, it's kind of a break from that. Yeah. It's a serenade, I mean. Yeah, exactly. It's very accurate to the title descriptor. Yeah, and it's a solid song. I, and, you know, it's not my favorite on the record, but I think it is a nice bridge from the first quarter. It's yeah. kind of low-key. It is a, a tad forgettable. Now, I will say, and I, I have this feeling, but also I feel like if... It happened in practice. I could be wrong because it feels like the instrumentation is a little sparse. Like at some points, now the horns are great. The mm-hmm. horns and the backup vocals are very well placed. And I honestly don't think that they could be done any, any better than they are. But some of, some of the songs where it's just the drums and the bass and just a little piano, I, sometimes I feel like they're a little bit sparse. I feel like on a scale of one being like all instrumentation, no Aretha and like 10 would be like all Aretha like no instrumentation it's about an 8 to 2 and I feel like it needs to be about a 7 to 3 but then mm-hmm. again I also feel like James your argument with some things is that the instrumentation takes away from the vocals and I'm wondering if maybe if that did happen and they did make it a little bit a little bring a little like, more it would take it, away from the it vocals does, like, like will it on That's, some songs I think yes mm-hmm. but on some songs like this song I think that no that doing that would actually help yeah, it does meander a little bit, but it's not enough for me to say like, oh, this is a bad track or oh, this is boring. You know, a lot of these these songs in general are carried by your Aretha's performance. Yes. And it has this level of intimacy that I think honestly, and I kind of agree with you, James, could be ruined with more instrumentation. Now yes. I do think that there are a couple of tracks where it needs more going on. And we'll get to those in a minute, but this one in particular did not. I did not feel that way. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that because I mean, she's obviously Michael Jordan, 
Michael Jordan needs some help though. He can carry, but you know, let's let's give him some help a little bit. And I feel like some of those songs that meander a little bit, they need a little bit. Like especially like the horns that would come in on certain spots, the accent. I felt like on some tracks, I needed I, I wanted a little bit more of that. Because like the vocal harmonies, they make her sound so much better. They sharpen her up. They, yeah, they fill that space her. in and they yes, they bring her to new heights and it sounds great. And I'm just thinking like at some points I'm like, I want a little bit more of that. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about, uh, now this is later on the track list, but Baby, Baby, Baby. That was probably yeah. my least favorite on the album. And really, it was for that mm. reason. Really, I, I felt the uh, instrumentation, well, the instrumental in general was like pretty sparse and uh, kind of forgettable. I think my Even t- Aretha's performance. I think my two bottom ones are Serenade and I think maybe Do Right Woman, Do Right Man. Those might be my two least favorites. You didn't like that song? Come on, man! What? I mean, I won't say I. Did, I mean, I. I didn't like dislike any of these songs. Well, oh no, 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 no. But as for my and where like my favorites were, you know, Doctor Feel Good. My top three are Doctor Feel Good, I Never Loved a Man, and Don't Let Me Lose This Dream. Those are my top three. Oh yeah, I loved Don't Let Me Lose This Dream, and it's great st- melody. The it's the bossa nova rhythm, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard that, and I was like, man, <laughs> somebody's been listening to some bossa nova. Uh, yep. So next, we're going into Don't Let Me Lose This Dream. Quite a song. I love this shit. Yeah, like I said earlier, the bossa nova rhythms. Like, yeah, I I love bossa nova. Yeah, it provides a good change of pace. The album is a blues album through and through. Except for this song. It comes in and it's like, oh, it's a Bossa Nova song. Nice. This was actually a a highlight for me, like a standout. Yeah, and Aretha does a great job. Great performance, great melody. She sings it so well. I love the chorus. But yeah, man. uh, Now we get into Baby, Baby, Baby. I already kind of got into my issues with the track, but how did you guys feel about it? I thought it was fine. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't amazing. It's a great blues song. I think it is the least memorable track in a group of incredibly memorable iconic tracks. Which still makes it pretty fucking memorable. <laughs> More memorable than a lot of other tracks. And It's kind of boring until the end when the vocal harmonies come in. The backup vocals are the best in, in this track. I yeah. feel like this track would be more forgettable than it is without that. I feel like at that end, when it kind of reaches its Yeah, when it, when it climaxes. Mark, yeah, it's yeah. just like her and... All the backups are, are, and the harmonies are really good. So I think that's what keeps it from being a bottom two song on the album for me. You guys have to think, this is soul and R&B. The artist, the singer, is up front. They're the ones delivering the song. The instruments are there to just give some flavor, some supplemental sound to give it a groove. Whereas the singer, they're the one doing the main job. Of course, I'm not, I'm not like... I understand that with the style. All, all I was saying is, yeah. it's kind of like with the Marty Robbins episode. Just need a little more sauce, you know, a little yeah. more spice. Yeah, and I Maybe. honestly like at this point, it's really just a nitpick. In the Marty Robbins episode, I, I hammered on that a little harder because mm-hmm. I didn't feel Marty was as strong of a performer, but Aretha really carries every single track on this album. Like mm-hmm. she is the center of attention, and you know that is the sole way of operating. And it makes sense. We're not tearing the album apart or anything. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. You know like, I'm just disagreeing with your nitpick. That's, that's all it is. Well, if the instruments did any more, they would probably get in the way. Agree with that somewhat, but also disagree. I mean, look at Marvin. 
as great as his performances on some of his like big hits, his instrumentals are like right there. And if your instrumentals are as good as your your vocals are, and you can sing really well, that like brings it to like a complete another level. That's why me and Mac just mm. gush over Channel Orange as much as we do because while Frank Ocean gives us a right on the dot performance, his production gives us a right on the dot performance just as well. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, whereas why I'm not a huge fan of. I mean, I still like her music, but I'm not a huge fan of Amy Winehouse because I feel like her beats and her instrumentals really let her down. I know that's the kind of jazz singer thing to be really sparse, but you when you can do more, do it. Sometimes just a little more can add that just more depth and really elevate yeah. and bring even more like, attention to the performance. Like, look at Let's mm. Get It On. It doesn't really have it, just have, but that just little guitar, that playing those little feels, just that takes it to just into the stratosphere and make, mm. made it just a legendary R&B hit. And just that, that's all it was. Just a little, just some lead guitar licks. And of course, just the, the rhythm. And it's just, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do agree with you, James, that some of these tracks don't need that instrumental. They don't need that backing music as much. I just think in some cases, you know, it's a little nitpick oh, yeah. here and there. Drumming yeah. Mom Tears almost doesn't even need a backup. You could literally have her acapella and that song yeah, still be for real. kicking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like like we said, you know, we're we're kind of on the same page here. It's just, you know, just that little nitpick, that little teeny tiny bit of criticism. Right. Yeah. I got you. And on an otherwise fantastic album. Yeah, and that nitpick is what keeps it from, you know, a really good perfect tan. But a track that is an uncontested banger bop galore, Dr. Feelgood. Love is a serious business. Very serious. Oh yes. We all know what this song is about. It's about a man that does everything right. If you know what I mean. He pushes all the right buttons. Oh, yeah. Again, this is coming into the late 60s. It's early 67, so we're not quite into like the summer of love thing. The foundation for all that has pretty much happening at this point. And uh, Can you elaborate on the summer of love? This was is also known as the sexual revolution during the uh, summer of 1969, if I remember correctly. Basically, it was kind of a, a confluence of a lot of different movements and ideologies. We were talking about earlier the feminist movement. A new wave, I should say, of the feminist movement during this time was really starting up. And so America was starting to move away from like the, the culture of the 50s, you know, the really uptight, good Christian, like nuclear family, kind of a new libertine movement going on at this point. People are starting to especially women, are starting to be act and feel more independent and do their own thing. People are starting to experiment with drugs. A lot of the psychedelics and stuff became popular with the American youth at this time. It was quite a revolution in, in the social organization of America and the world, really. And you say Aretha lays the foundation for that. Well, not exactly the foundation, but she was... But in, she was part of that. She was part of it. She was part of it in the beginning. It's, and especially... You got to think this is the 60s and African American culture is changing rapidly at this point because 64 was the Civil Rights Act. America's finally fully integrating in the schools and businesses all throughout the country. People were being exposed to a lot more to African American culture. Before then they were they were kept segregated obviously so they didn't get a chance to really intermingle that much. They there was some of it in the 50s, you know, like Blues and rock and roll had become popular, and that that came from African-American culture. 
but it hadn't really fully integrated into everyone until this point. I think also in a similar vein to how country was going away from just the things that you can sing about, they were letting these black artists actually sing about, you know, black issues, just being forced to sing, you know, whatever they wanted the radio to play. Like the first like biggest hit along that line was the standard, you know, a change is going to come. Probably that blew people's minds, you know, back then. Cause yeah. Normal stations are like, no, you're not you're, you ain't going to sing about civil rights. Not on my radio. This album, along with a lot of other things, was a representation of the cultural shift that was occurring in America. And for that reason, I see the massive importance that this album had. I mean, it really was a snapshot into the changing culture revolutions going on in that time. Its importance cannot be overstated. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that this album has appeared on so many top 100 lists, you know, top album lists, greatest artists of all time lists. She was really an icon for not only black culture, but for women. That's part of what makes her and this album and music in general is so special because it's really a snapshot in history. Whenever you go back and listen to it, you get a little bit of the feeling of that era through the music, through the performances, and especially in soul because it's just so raw and emotional. That's why I love it so much. Now, with that being said, we should probably reel it back here a little bit. Great points all around, though. Good times. A rock and roll song. Yeah, I was going to say, it's basically just some good old rock. It's really roots rock and roll. It goes back to the old 50 songs, like Chuck Berry. It's a little... Strong a little bit, blues influence. Oh, yeah. It's it's a little bit slower than some of the old rock songs. A lot of times, it'd be just a little bit more up-tempo. It's still a great-feeling song. She really carries it, of course, like every everything else. Great groove. It's so much fun. And she's singing about good times, having, trying to, because a lot of soul music, a lot of blues music, R&B, it was performed and written as kind of an escape from all the shittiness African Americans were experiencing at the time. Songs like this were kind of your escape. It was a good, fun song to dance to, to feel, to help you feel good in a sea of shit. Like I said, there is a big overtone. She lays down some of these tracks. It feels like Aretha was the kind of the person that, yes, she might have a heartbreak, you know, dealing with a man, but later on that same night, she's going to go out and have some fun. The emotions on this album are very segmented. Like, there's like, there's time for fun, there's time for loving, there's time for heartbreak. And there's not, there doesn't really like leak into the other song. The other songs are very, you know, segmented. And there's like, there's a big tonal shift through the second half of the album. There's a lot of emotional maturity. On this yeah, album. yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. she feels these emotions, she recognizes them and she accepts them, but she moves on. She she doesn't lesson. let that bring her down. And that's man, that's just so It's a big lesson we all should learn. Yeah. yeah it's just so iconic, man. Like it's so powerful and it, it it really is a big statement in this album. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another reason why this album and Aretha is such a huge point in feminism. Massive. I mean, yes, Garrett, you're correct. This is really a lesson that applies to everybody. At the time, it was such an important thing for women to hear, especially black women. This shit happens. Things are hard, but you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going on. It's going to get better. A change is going to come. Yeah, fantastic all around. And uh, keeping up with the fantastic track list, Do Right Woman, Do Right Man. Now, I love this song. 
It's kind of like with respect. She's making it clear to her lover that she deserves to be treated right and treated like a human being with respect. She is a person, an independent person. You have to treat her as such. She's asking him not to objectify her, and if he can't do that, then she, he ain't doing it right. And she gone. Empowering message. Empowering message, and I, I think it's great. Fantastic for that. Now, we're getting towards the end here with Save Me. I love it, man. Such a powerful performance. I mean, she gets way high up in the register, dude. Like, she hits some really high notes in this. But yeah, we're on the uh, final track. A change is going to come. This is a, man, this is a standard at this yep. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Powerful Fan- song. Fantastic song. Out- people outside of that. As Garrett mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, it is written by soul and R&B legend Sam Cooke. Yes, as was uh, Good Times, actually. Pretty impressive. Now, I, I will say I think A Change Is Gonna Come is on par with yes. the Sam Cooke I version. like Sam Cooke's version slightly better, but they are in the same tier. Same conversation. Yes. And of course, you know, this song has cultural significance. Hope. Change. Yeah, hope that a change is going to come and things are going to get better. Iconic, great way to close out the album. Now, fantastic album. James, I'll go ahead and let you give your thoughts because you did pick the album. This album is very special to me. The performances on here, the writing, the emotions, it's all just so laid to bear. Aretha really puts herself, all of herself, onto this album. It's pure feeling. It's emotion. It is soul at its finest. It is easily one of the best soul and R&B albums of all time. Not to mention the context this album was in with all the cultural shifts that were happening in 60s America. This album was a big part of that. This music was a huge part of that. To me, it is one of the seminal pieces of American culture. Yes, this album has some small flaws. It does get a little samey at times, but it is a blues album. It knows what it wants to be. Really, the only criticism I can give this album, break the monotony a little bit. And really, that's the only thing that keeps this album from being a 10 for me. So I give it a nine and a half. This album is without question a soul classic. This is the album that propelled Aretha into R&B and soul stardom, and it shows. So many iconic tracks like Respect, I Never Loved a Man, Dr. Feelgood, Do Right Woman, Do Right Man, her a cover of A Change Is Gonna Come. It's easy to see why this album has stood the test of time and has been widely regarded as her definitive album and one of the best soul albums of all time. It oozes soulful goodness and really exemplifies Aretha's impressive singing ability. And on top of that, the context that you were talking about, James, you know, this album is iconic. Even if you don't think it's perfect, you cannot deny the influence and impact that it's had on American culture as a whole and how special it really is. I do kind of agree with you, James, that it is a little too similar and needs a little more to break up the monotony. That is a totally minor criticism, and it's, you know, Aretha's performances completely overshadow that. Her performances are undeniably iconic, and this is without a doubt a timeless classic, and I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10 as well. All right, Garrett. My nitpicks are the same. However, they are a little bit more important to me. 
I can't really let it slide as much as you probably can. And while her vocals are great, I do feel like some of these songs could use a lot of R and B has really great hooks, and I feel like some of her deeper cuts could have the hooks could be a little bit better. It could be a little bit more catchy. And while she does her technicality is just unmatched and her prowess it just carries, you know, points that we've already brought up about, you know, the sameness and Mac to piggyback on some of what you said. I pretty much have am on the exact same page. However, those are more of an issue. So I would give it an eight. I would not give it a nine or a ten. I don't know about you guys, but this is not in my top five of R and B soul albums of all time. I think it's at least top ten for me. Oh, it's top ten easily, but it's not top five. I would put it in top five. It's good. And this is honestly the same problem I have with Edit James and some of Curtis's non Curtis album his songs is that the hooks just aren't as good as some of their contemporaries. Like that's what I do give credit for Marvin for. His hooks are unmatched. Yeah, I don't want to be I don't want to be like, you know, the pop guy, the but it needs to be a little bit more. I need more hooks. I need a little bit more and also the biggest earworm on this track is a song I don't like. That's what also limits it. Me not that 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 weird relationship I have with respect kind of skews my opinion on this album. So this is very much a personal rating for you. Oh, all my albums are very yeah. personal ratings. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, like, I mean, our scores, our personal ratings, they're just a way to summarize this lengthy and thought out explanation for what we liked and didn't like about the album. You know, when I feel like a lot of people really focus on scores and I don't really like personally, I don't really like using scores, but I feel like it is a good point of conversation when discussing music or discussing art in general. You know, I wouldn't go to up to a fucking like, you know, Picasso piece and say, oh, that's like a six out of 10. It's more a point of discussion. It's more a summation of the thoughts and feelings that we have. Right. The album. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be in that like nine, 10 range, I would have had to have way more songs that I just think no matter what, I can listen to this song. That is my personal distinction. Tens for me. And, you know, I just went on this rant about scores, but, you know, scores are what the listener and you guys can cling on to. A 10 is an album. It's different every time. I guess in the most general sense, it's when an artist truly and fully realizes their idea or their concept or whatever they're trying to do on the album to the maximum potential. Like every song is super enjoyable. Every song is super memorable. You know, the themes are all there. It all makes sense. It all works perfectly together. And that can come in many different ways. You know, a lot of my 10 out of 10 albums, they're for widely different reasons. And that's why I find it so hard to put very like rigid standards on what I find you know, like for a score, like a 10 out of 10 album? For me, scores are basically how the music makes me feel. Ultimately, music is about the feelings. It's about the emotions. It's about, it's an art form where the artist puts their soul into the art. I mean, all art is like that. But music is the one that's the most literally translated. There's never going to be an objective score. It's always going to be subjective. There's always going to be bias, and it's up to you to decide how much you like a project. You know, at the end of the day, we're just 
some guys on the internet who happen to share our music opinions. Like if you feel a certain way about an album and we don't, that doesn't mean you have to change your opinion or focus so much on that score. I, I feel like that's partially why a lot of internet critics will get a lot of shit is because, you know, a lot of people will just skip to that score and say, oh, wow, he gave this like a six out of 10. I can't believe that. What what the fuck? I feel like people focus too much on the score and and need to focus more on what, you know, the critic is actually saying. So, James, you and me experienced Aretha in two very different ways. I call, as far as like my classic female R&B singers go, I listened to her and Etta James as pretty much like two sides of the same coin. I listen to Aretha when I feel outgoing and sassy, a bad MFer. Mm. I listen to Etta James when I want to get sad. It's like her sad songs don't really hit me like some others do. Maybe it's just because of her just personality is just really just shining through almost, or just the way she delivers it. But I just don't mm-hmm. really get that just like soul crushing sadness like I do some others. Maybe it's just her confidence, but also that does work almost against her when I listen to some of like the sadder songs because I just don't I don't get that as much as I do with some other things like Etta James' Stormy Weather. Like that, yeah, that is like soul soul crushing to me. I mean, absolutely. But I would say that. Drowning my own tears. Oh, yeah. Although that one, on, that one is up there. But I mean, yeah. I'm more like like overall. Regardless, we all felt very positively about the album, and this is probably the highest score I've given on the podcast so far. Yes, yeah, James here. too. Yeah. So that should say something. And if you haven't heard this album, please do yourself a favor and listen to it. It's fantastic. It's a classic. It's timeless, and it's so influential. And just be ready to. Have some feels. Oh, yeah. Major yes. feels. Sad, bad, good, sexy. It's all there. The spectrum is the on this album. The whole spectrum of emotions. <laughs> Everything. Displayed on this album. It'll make you say, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and with that being said, this is Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. God, fuck. Damn it. I'm with. So, despite. (laughs) Despite the interruptions, it was a good recording. give a shout out to Lacrembo for the intro and outro music. Also, check out our link tree for where to follow us. We are on Instagram and Facebook and a variety of streaming platforms. And if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks guys. See you later. <laughs>